cliffcentral.com Womantla on cliffcentral.com it is Wednesday, I'm Pumi Mashekho, and you're tuned in to Womantla. And today, we're talking about a little bit of a revolution. We're talking about a shift, I think, in the minds of young people and of parents and those mothers that are raising young people. Coincidentally, yesterday when I was busy doing research for the show, I then found out that it was International Mother Tongue Day and I was so excited because I was like, hey, hey, look, the universe is validating me and validating how I'm feeling. I'm Pumima Shekho and my guest in the studio today is the founder and curator. Is curator kind of like the right word? That's I love a great the way. word. It sounds better than what I actually am, so use it. <laughs> Of Bridge Books in Joburg. But before we get going about that, you know, my new thing is like going through the papers and looking for those stories that either should infuriate women or celebrate women or are simply starting a conversation with women. And this past Sunday... There were lots of that kind of story in the paper. And I thought to myself, hmm, and, and my favorite one is about this new phenomenon on social media, guys. So we're no longer pouting. We're now showing our asses. I was like, what the fuck? Is this a thing that women are doing now? Talk about... um Curating the way that we are seen by the world And really, is that what you want to be seen as? Like your bum? With all the <laughs> with all of the issues that women have with their bum I really, this is one thing that when I read that article I was just like, ain't this a bitch And I hope that it definitely doesn't take off And if you are listening to this show I hope you are just as infuriated as I was But a really interesting story as well That came out in the paper that is more and more making me want to have this kind of conversation. Lindy Wesisulu and the succession battle in the ANC. That has been an interesting turn of events. No one saw that coming. No one, I don't think anybody ever thought that um, the sexiest, the sexiest, sexiest uh, minister on the cabinet and the most quiet is possibly also going to be the new president. What was really interesting about that article is she's not getting any of the hate that Nkosazana Zlaminizuma has been getting because all we've heard about Nkosazana Zlaminizuma is that she is the ex-wife of the current president. So it'll be interesting to see that development and see how... And the Women's League, factions in the Women's League are backing her and she's not having any of those kind of, hmm, really? Is this what we're saying in 2017 about the possible a possible woman becoming candidate and the last story which was just as interesting and exciting if I can remember which paper it's in ah, about Lobola girls and how girls actually really feel about it hmm very dodgy conversation being had about Lobola and I'm wondering what your feelings are inbox me Tweet me, let me know what you think And if I get enough interest, this is a conversation That we'll be expanding on here on Womandla You're tuned in to Womandla as we do every Wednesday Now let's get into it International Mother Tongue Day Personal favorite kind of uh, thing for me And when I, I didn't even know that this was a thing Actually until I saw it yesterday That this is a thing and it's actually a thing That is backed by UNICEF All around the world And it started out in Bangladesh, believe it or not in 1952. Who knew? <laughs> Who 
who knew? But the fascinating thing, which is why it's about starting a revolution, is that it actually was started by medical students and university students who were fighting to have their mother tongue, Bengali at the time, be recognized as a medium of instruction in their universities. So they already had the free education. And I think it's one of the conversations that will be coming here in South Africa too. And why I've invited you, Griffin, to be on the show with me today is because you do a very fascinating thing at your bookstore. You have bilingual story time for kids every week. Every Saturday at 10.30, we do stories in English plus one other language uh, because... We're always trying to figure out more ways to engage with people and figure out different ways of interacting with the language. And for kids, I mean, it's so much about the spoken word and the words that people are comfortable with. And those are the words that we use at home, right? I mean, in whatever your home language is. So we try and rotate through them. So, so far, we've done um, English and Zulu, English and Swana, and English and Sutu are the three most common rotations. Uh, there's not a very fixed schedule to it. It just depends who's available to read on each day. But we also keep a lot of the books in multiple languages in the shop for the kids, which is where most local language publishing happens in South Africa is kids' books, right? Because, I mean, you know, if you're looking for an adult book in Swana, you're not going to find it necessarily. Um, but the kids' books are all really spectacular. And there's lots of interesting developments with the way that South Africa is producing more and more kids' books, lots of small publishers going into that space, so lots of young people starting out who are creating their own children's books. And the good thing there is that um, the the big publishers are often writing the kids' books uh, with the idea of children in mind, but also of a school or a library in mind. And so they're sometimes thinking very much about... If I were going to say this in Zulu, for example, how would I do it in like the purest, most perfect, grammatically precise Zulu there is, which has, it has its place. But yeah, that's not the way we talk, right? You know, so, <laughs> and I think to have a different kind of a book where you're using more spoken language and mixing words in the way that people would. Because I mean, if you sit around on, you know, anywhere in South Africa and listen People are not just speaking English or just speaking Zulu or just speaking Afrikaans. I mean, they're often borrowing words from across languages, different expressions, and everyone can follow that very fluidly, especially in Johannesburg, where there's such a mix of people. And what I love is that we get all kinds of different people coming in for the storytelling because we get, you know, like international kids, you know, kids from the rest of Africa, kids from Europe. We get kids from the neighborhood, which is also very international because we're downtown and there's a lot of migrants who live downtown, a lot of Zimbabwean kids, Nigerian kids, things like that. So I can tell from your accent that you're from Guazul. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> Zulu is my mother tongue. So, <laughs> so I'm very intrigued to to know how you got into that space where this is something that you felt you wanted to do with your bookstore. Yeah, I mean, the bookstore started kind of interestingly because I started selling books out of a backpack. Um, so <laughs> I did see that picture on the Internet. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you looked a bit like a hobo. And I wondered if like... Yeah, hmm. I was like working the streets. That's, <laughs> that's where I started, showing some leg and waving a book. Um, but yeah, basically, I was doing some research at Vits. Uh, I was in journalism as my background. Um, but I was doing some research at Vits about where South African books end up. And so I went around Park Station looking for booksellers. And then at some point, Jakana gave me a stack of books. And it was so interesting because I sold the adult books really, really quickly. The Memoirs of a Born Free, um, Soleika Mandela's When Hope Whispers, uh, 
um, The Coming Revolution, which is a book by the EFF guys, by Floyd Chivambu. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff went really fast. What did not sell at all was the children's books in local language. And I thought those would be so popular because it was like, oh, you know, like, they're hard to find. And if I bring them around. And I think there's a really interesting phenomena about um, the way that we as parents engage with language in our, with our children. And my family's a multilingual family too. And because we're in often an English dominant environment at school and at work and things like that, then the other language in the home can often be kind of left to the side. You, as you know, as I was telling you, my most frustrating thing is with my son who mm. absolutely, who I can say whatever to him in Isazulu will not speak back to me, but will, you know, will try his luck with peers. Mm. We'll try it with my parents will definitely with my grandparents because I keep saying to him that if you don't speak this language you can't speak to my grandparents because my grandparents don't speak mm, yeah. <laughs> English and even if they do which is so funny because my grandmother will always have English conversations with him which is so so weird to watch because my grandmother who for all her life was a maid so her her English Experience and how she speaks to kids in English is so different to the way she spoke to us in Zulu. And I always watch her and she, she speaks to him like he's a little master because that's her, that's her reference for the English language when speaking to children, which completely freaks me out. Yeah. So now he's gotten into the idea that I don't want him speaking to my grandparents in English. Oh, shame. So, no, no, no. No shame. It's embarrassing. <laughs> but it's interesting because language has all kinds of associations like that. And when we learn to speak a different language, we often absorb either the context that we learned it in, like your grandmother, or we end up speaking the way that our teacher does. And we don't always sound the same in a different language as we do when we're speaking our, our home language, our mother tongue. Um, and so part of the thing at the shop is to figure out ways to get kids to engage with languages in multiple ways. And so not just to read a story that no one is going to be able to follow because they don't speak Zulu at home or they don't speak Sutu at home, but to say like, okay, here, let's read a bit. And now we're going to say, did you understand? Because especially in a children's book, you know, you've got a picture to work with. You've, when you're reading, you've got your tone of voice and your mannerisms and, you know, because the readers are all very dynamic people. So there's lots of ways to try to understand what's going on. So it's a way to, to help people learn an additional language as well or to pick up words in an additional language. Um, and what's funny is some of the books actually written in indigenous languages don't work very well because they've been written with this school context in mind. And so it's not nice actually for parents to read like that because we don't speak to our children the way that a school teacher would speak to them or the way that you would want to learn something with this kind of perfect grammar. You know, we talk to our kids in our friendliest voice, in our happiest voices, sometimes our angriest voices too, right? You know, yeah. like, but um, it's interesting to see like these new books coming up. Like there's a, a company called Ginger Goat, which is a small publishing company doing children's books that mix like English and Swana, for example. So that's the way there's this uh, book called uh, Malome Larata Goes to the Library. And Malome is the loudest person you have ever met. I mean, so when Malome goes to sleep at night, he wears earplugs to drown out the sound of his own snoring, right? I mean, like, can you imagine? And he decides to go to the library. And so he spends the whole week. But so you're learning in English. On Monday, I can't go to the library. And then they repeat mm -hmm. Sinswana. And then on Tuesday, I can't go to the library. And he builds up until the day when on Friday, I can go. Mm -hmm. But it's a very playful way to interact with the language. And the story is very 
very, very chilled. And then, of course, Malome gets to the library and he's much too loud. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Malome can't be in the library. And what I... I want to play a little clip of a reading at the at the bookstore. Um, I loved watching this on the YouTube channel. So you do have a YouTube channel. If you can't, if people can't make it down there, they can see some of the stuff. I really I enjoyed it, even as I was watching it on YouTube. And I thought this is a really really good idea. And and this this story um, and the way that the kids interact with the story. And I hope it's absolutely loud enough. Let's try it out. Right. Does anyone want to translate for us to English? Anyone who wants to try? <laughs> Do you want to try Tanish? Uh-huh. What were the three friends doing? Tani says there were three friends. What were they doing? Mm-hmm. They were waiting. They were waiting for a taxi. Yes. On the side of a dusty road. Okay. Well done, guys. Imbu. Okay. What's Imbu in English, guys? Um, a ship. Mm-hmm. Well done, Tabby. Imbu Zi. a car. Uh, I love it. <laughs> Even as he gets it wrong, he's just like, look at me. Uh-huh. And what's this guy? Imbuzi. It's a goat. It's a goat. Well done. So it was Imbu, the sheep. Imbuzi, the goat. Ninja. A dog. A dog, that's right. Babelinde itegisi elia oluande, watinge sigade, mafiga itegisi. Absolutely love how she's interacting with the kids and the fact that they are part of the story too. And children are just the the best and the worst audience ever, right? Because... But you know, these kids are all going to remember those three animals now, right? Because they've engaged with it, they had a little conversation about it, and then um, that uh, you know that was my perfect Zulu speaking there. You know, that was clearly me. Um, but uh, no, so, I know that umquak or wolf. Yes, exactly. My clicks are always spot on. Um, but uh, Nosi Dube does the readings, and she works with children professionally. She's fantastic with the kids, and so what she does when she's done, then she has the English version of the same book, and she'll read it straight through in English. So that they can hear, like, oh, this is how we were thinking of it for ourselves. And then this is how, like, the story would be told if you were just going straight at it in English to begin with. And I think to hear, to be allowed to make mistakes, to be able to hear, like, oh, well, that's the way that, like, a professional writer would do it. Like, that's the way the story is. Because you know how kids are when you're reading a book. Like, they will memorize the book and, and then pretend they can read you. it back to you. No, and, and then still <laughs> ask you to read it 500 times. 500 times, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I think that's such a, a good way to, to play with language. And often I feel like what's missing in South Africa, because I compare always to the context where I grew up with, but, you know, there's not like a Dora the Explorer or like a Diego for 
English plus South African languages, where you're kind of having this little adventure and you're playing a game with the language and you're learning different words and mixing things around. Because um, even like we, um, when my kids were smaller, we used to watch Takalani Sesame on TV. And it was so confusing because it would go like one entire episode <laughs> in one language. But like for us, we didn't know which language it was. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, I don't know what we're listening to. <laughs> so it's really hard. And then by the time you get it back to the episode in English, it's like, now I forgot what happened. Like, what is Nano doing today? I don't remember what was going on from three days ago when we heard it before. And I love Takalani Sesame. I think they're so cool, right? And they're doing I such love great work. Takalani Sesame. But as you say that, you see, for me, I take it for granted because we speak so many different languages and we switch from code to code is it's easy. And I've also found that for myself and my friends, one of the things that we definitely do, which is so wrong is we also speak above the kids when we speak in vernacular. So if you Mm. want to say something with your friends and you don't want the kids to hear, then you just quickly switch to. Yeah, that's how I grew up too, because my grandmother was French speaking. I grew up in Louisiana, so she's, you know, it's a big Cajun family. And so they didn't teach us French in the home, but we would all kind of listen because if they were talking about us, they would switch to French <laughs> so fast that if they were talking about their husbands, they would switch really quickly. Um, but it's, yeah, it's an interesting thing. And I think in what's different in Johannesburg too is that oftentimes parents feel like English is the language of aspiration in a certain way. And like the people really want their kids to have a good, good grasp of English because that's how you can get a job and do well in school and you're going to get ahead. And it's hard to achieve that balance where you, I mean, cause let's be real, you do need English to function in the greater world, right? Outside of, you know, mm-hmm. internationally, it is the, the language of the world, but. At the same time, you don't want to devalue your home language and to find ways to interact with that. And it's so interesting. We have like families come in all the time who will buy the same book in three or four languages. Really? And then they'll take turns reading it. So like we had, um, you know, there was one family came in. It was a uh, Sutu dad and a Swana mom. And they bought books for, for in four languages. And then the extra was um, a Zulu book because the daughter was like, that's the one I want. <laughs> And the dad's like, ah, oh, but Sudi, we're trying to value Sutu and Swana. But nobody's going to read it to you. We don't know this language. <laughs> and the dad could read it was the amazing thing. Oh, like, wow. But South Africans are so linguistically adept, right? Especially compared to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> just go bumbling this is, along. This is how you are disadvantaged. You just don't know it. <laughs> I should put more effort. That's why I keep my children around so they can translate for me. So... <laughs> I have to have the boys around to be like, okay, what's everyone saying? Let me know. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think to to repeat things in more than one way like that, we do. The second language of my house is Thai. My partner is from Bangkok, and so when they were little, we had the Very Hungry Caterpillar in English and in Thai, and then whoever was doing story time that night could read the same story. But it's a way for them to reinforce. Oh, that's how you would say ice cream. That's how you would say strawberry. That's how you say caterpillar. You know. All those nice things. And I think a little bit of that is starting to come. You know, like the Gruffalo is coming in local language to South Africa. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I mess up which one. love that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to be Zulu, Kosa, and Swana or Sutu. I think, I, mean, at I, the last count, I think at the last count, there were 12 million Zulu-speaking first language speakers in South Africa. Mm. I think that's a big one. <laughs> it's the biggest it's, it's, it's the biggest ethnic language actually spoken. Mm. Um, not just by mother tongue speakers. 
as well, you know? Well, it's the, the common language, isn't it? For like the, the default language when people switch out of English, that's the fir- usually the first switch I find. Yeah, de- depending on where you are, but it is the most widely spoken language, which is always fascinating for me. Um, as a, as a, as a Zulu mother tongue speaker myself, mm. it's, it's always fascinating how even when in a situation where I am feeling threatened, even I will immediately switch to speaking Zulu. So when I've, when I'm with peers or blacks and then I will switch to Zulu because it just emphasizes my own comfort and authority in my, in my own self, you mm. know, or when I, am happy or that is the language and it always fascinates me how most people around you will understand you but when you are in other environments there are very few people who will speak in in their home language or mother tongue and everybody around them will understand them Mm. it's crazy yeah no it's a tricky thing to to navigate isn't it and then there's all kinds of cues associated with like how we switch and which which language are we switching into and all this too um and i think for zulu especially because a lot of children uh learn zulu at school for their additional language and so i think to have an environment like the storytelling you know to come on a saturday morning where it's a fun space too it's taking language out of the school space for people who are learning it as an academic subject because you don't want it to just be the thing you do at school you want it to be a language that is a living language and that people engage with on the street and in their regular life yeah Mm, and you know so for you being in the library library being in the bookstore and seeing this new language um diversity happening and coming up what are the things that you believe for parents are the the good um behaviors that they should be reinforcing for their kids, not just around reading, but also around reading in the mother tongue. Yeah, I mean, I think reading is obviously super important. And basically, every study that you can find will tell you if you can read to your children every day, that improves their outcomes, it improves their language proficiency. And for early education, especially um, reading in mother tongue is super important because it gives kids confidence and familiarity. And as they're getting ready to go into school, it helps associate, you know, the even if they don't know how to read themselves yet, obviously, they could be very small children, but it starts to associate that like, oh, those those letters represent something. I mean, that is it makes a connection between the written word and the spoken word. Um, so I think you know, what we, you hear different things. I mean, when we arrived in South Africa, the teachers sometimes discouraged us from using both languages at home with the kids because they're like, no, it's too confusing. You have to wait until they're five or six and then introduce the second home language, which I think is crazy because actually kids, when they're very young, learn quicker. They learn so quickly. And like children will figure out how to play a game together. If they want to go out and do something and the kids speak different languages, they figure it out. I mean, it's not a drama for them. They're not shy about it. They'll just go and do it. And for me, what, it works the best in our house was that like I would always speak in English and then my partner must always speak in Thai and be very consistent about it. Do you and but, do you speak Thai at all? Uh, my Thai is super. Would you like to know how good my Thai is? <laughs> I'll uh, just my take your Thai word for it. <laughs> so good that I spent two years calling a colleague in my office in Bangkok the wrong name. <laughs> so she introduced herself as Moy, and I was like, "Oh, that's so nice, Moy. Nice to meet you. I'm Griffin." You know, and so what does your name mean? And she's like, oh, "It means I have Chinese features. I look Chinese in the face." I was like, "Oh, okay." And she did look Chinese, sort of, you know? And so for two years, I was like, good morning, Moy. How are you, Moy? How are things, Moy? Blah, 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 blah. 
And then finally, she left to go and work for her dad for her family business. And so I'm giving a little farewell speech. And I was like, Moy, we're so sorry to see you go. And the entire office is like dead silent, you know, like, like embarrassingly, awkwardly silent. And one of the other journalists comes up and he's like, um, that's not her name. It's like, oh God, like I've been calling her the wrong name. What is her name? He's like, her name is Moy. And you've been saying Moy. And it's like, oh, <laughs> so like, so what, what have I been calling? He's like, you've been calling her a pubic hair <laughs> <laughs> for two years every day. Called the no poor woman a pube anything. and no one corrected me. <laughs> so polite. As you so do. Polite. I mean, that is manners, right? But honestly, if you called me a pube every day, I would think on the first day I would stop and just be like, just so you know, I'm not a pube. You know, that's, uh, that's something else. People used to call me grief a lot when I was like in Europe because they would look at my first name and G-R-I-F and they would pronounce it grief. And I'm like... But I'm not that unpleasant. I mean, really, like, I don't think I'm sorrowful or anything. I'm generally pretty nice, you know, well-tempered. But And how have, and how have the kids adjusted to that? Uh, they, I mean, basically, it's very challenging, right? And I think for the parents, it requires a lot of discipline because the kids do not want to speak the language that their friends don't speak. So whatever context you're in, you know, that social space, even for young kids in preschool, it's so important to them. And... I mean, I know people who the parent who's speaking the whatever the additional language would be, like whatever the not English one would be, and they'll just like sit there and pretend not to understand. <laughs> so like the kid will come and be like, "Hey, mom, um, can I have some water?" And she'll just be like, "Do do do do," did not hear anything, <laughs> and the, she knows perfectly well what the child asked for. And then it will wait for the child to say, like, you know, oh. in the home language, "Oh, may I please have some water?" And then we'll go and fetch and you know have the conversation that way. Which is maybe a little bit extreme and it takes a lot of discipline. And what was challenging for us is because my partner was trying to improve his English. So he wanted to speak English all the time. And then when you're together, there is a little bit of kind of repetition to it, you know. And I think it's important for parents also. The the thing, the mistake that we've often made is that like not to let the home language be the language of scolding all the time or of instruction where it's like, go brush your teeth. It's time for breakfast. Put on your clothes. We've got to get to school. Like, don't let it just be... The command things that are kind of like uh, tedious, you know, like also to have game time and to play soccer and to do all those things in the home language that it's really fun and then they want to do it, you know. Sure. You know, the discipline thing that you bring up, I was completely, completely undisciplined. I mean, when I started out, you know, when you're new parents and you're young and full of good ideas, <laughs> full of good ideas. One of the things that I did for a good two years with my son was I actually put him into two preschools. I put him into one in my, I did, one in my, in my neighborhood where we live, which is, you know, in the suburbs, cause that's where we live. So I put him in a, in a preschool there. And then he went there on Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And on Thursdays and Fridays, I put him in a preschool, um, in Soweto. Oh man, you were working parents. hard, huh? <laughs> two years of the, the, just the picking up, the dropping off the, but for me, it was so important because I understand that you learn language from mm. playing with people, from talking with people, from and, the and thing, it, it just gets it gets harder as it gets older because yeah. school gets more complicated, and so you can't keep that up. And because school in South Africa usually doesn't use the additional language as a medium of instruction, it's just it stays within the Zulu class, for example, you know, and as opposed to a model where, you know, like in Singapore, for example, we had um, kids taken out of my son's preschool in Bangkok because the kids had to go to Singapore school because by the time they enter grade one, they have to be proficient in three national languages what? by the time they get to grade one. So they had to be proficient in Chinese, in English, plus what? one. So it's two main languages and then one you get to choose, which could be Hindi or, you know, which whichever it is. Um, but 
so they, when the kids got to be three or four, the, parent, the Singaporean parents were like, they've got to go to the Singaporean school because they have got to learn the additional languages so they can get into grade one. And like I have friends in New York whose kids go to bilingual schools where one day is in English, the next day is in Spanish, the next day is in English, the next day is in Spanish. So if you're doing math that day, you've got to cope. You, know, it's like, you have to learn not only the math, but how to do it in the additional language. But I mean, those kids are completely bilingual. I mean, they are completely fluent. And... I think that kind of thing is still, it's hard, right? Because so much in South Africa changes so quickly and all the time, and it's a young country and things change all the time, and it's going to take no us to figure out how to do it. No one is disciplined enough. I think that the, the, the real hard thing, conversation to be had, is mm. no one actually has that discipline. We, even I as a parent, you know, I think it's all wonderful. I would love to come down. I want to come get the books. I want to read. I want to, but, mm, you know, the discipline yeah. of it become in, in the everyday running of the day. It's hard. It becomes. Eh? That's part of why I like doing the YouTube videos, which are not like very like classy videos. I mean, that's such stuff with my cell phone and what. Um, but then it's a chance to listen to it again but they at work. home. And if you can't come down to the bookshop, you know, then. You can just down, like stream it whenever you feel like it, you know, and just have it. And it's totally a Creative Commons license. So anybody can share that and make something better with it and pass it along. And the other thing I think is to have um, spaces for adults to start to feel more comfortable in working in more than one language. So we also do a storytelling for adults once a month. So the first Friday of the month, we get people together on the roof and do like stories that could be romantic or funny, <laughs> maybe a little raunchy, could be sad, you know, and it's Not amazing. Not 50 shades of gray kind of. Not that raunchy. You know? um, <laughs> That would be hard to do that in Zulu, because if you were to have a raunchy story in Zulu, it it could get it, it could get quite it's complicated. Yeah, we had one last rough. time about tongue meat, which I was waiting to go to a, a different place. I was like, oh. <laughs> mm, what are we doing with the tongue meat? <laughs> are we tonguing the meat? Is the meat the tongue? I mean, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> it turned out to be more innocent than that. But yeah. I'll, be showing up <laughs> for the, I'll be showing up for that day. But it's really fun. And then for people like me who aren't proficient in an additional South African language, like it's a really good way to interact for me and to feel more comfortable than when my kids are doing Zulu at school or with their friends and what. It's like, oh, at least I've heard these things <laughs> in a context where it was made comfortable. And the storytellers are great. They're um, they're called Nan Lamoya, and they do the first Friday of the month, so it'll be next Friday for this time. Um, but then you come as with the grown-ups, and you have a glass of wine or a beer, and you hang out on the roof, and everyone gets really involved in the stories and finds different ways of talking about it. And they even wrote me in and like try to improve my dismal pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> And and how have you felt the public's response is? So are you getting are you getting two people showing up every week, or are you getting? Uh, the one thing I've learned is that we for the children you definitely need to respect the school calendar more because when it got to be exam time, like everything dried up at the end of last year, so people weren't really coming. Uh, but now that we're back and kind of in normal routines, uh, it's really good. We had a really nice group last weekend, and you get. A really interesting mix of people, and you get a lot of parents who are looking for those kinds of spaces, you know, whether it's parents from the suburbs where they don't speak an additional language at home, maybe, and they want their kids to be exposed and to be exposed in a kind of different context. And then we get a lot of adoptive families as well, um, where the parents are really concerned about maintaining the child's home language and a connection with the culture, and that books are one way to do that. Um, so there's things like uh, we have a great book called The Kulunguni, which is available in lots of languages. I loved it. It's I beautiful, isn't it? It's a gorgeous book. I loved it. But it goes through and explains like 
the names of the hides of all the different cattle and why there's a story behind that and what those things mean. And so basically the book, it starts out, there's this little calf and he's like reading all the books from overseas and he's like, oh, I wish I was a cool calf like the cowboys in America or the holy cows in India or this, this and this. And the mother's listening very patiently and she's like, you know, come my boy. And then she goes out and she's like, look, this one is the story behind why this cowhide looks like caterpillars or like rain or like, you know, all the different things that it is. Um, and it's a really, and at the end of the book, the kid's like, oh, we are really cool. Like, look how awesome we are. It's just teaching to be really proud of South Africa and of all of our, the local culture here, but also a way to connect different parts of identities, you know, um, which I think all that's really great. And the Kulinguni, you know, when you do it in Zulu as well, it's, even more powerful, I think, because it's connecting with a home culture in a very different way. And I think for a lot of kids who are growing up in the city, like they may not hear that story because you may not pass cattle <laughs> ever have a conversation about, oh, why does that one look like clouds? Yeah, you know? yeah. And it, it is just, oh, I absolutely. And how do you find the books? Because, again, access is one of the things that stops a lot of parents who may want to, who have the love for it, who have the time to do it. But access is also very hard. It's tricky sometimes. I mean, I, I do find that like most bookstores will have a few, um, but you may have to go looking and kind of ask for it. It may not be up in front. Um, we keep books in lots of different languages all the time. So anyone can come down to Bridge Books. We're, I'll just plug it all, right? It's at 85 oh, Commissioner your, Street you, downtown, uh, the corner of Harrison, in an old <laughs> bank building. It is the most beautiful space. Oh, and you, you, we're going to have a whole conversation about that because I do want people to come down. I do want people to come and check it out, check out the space, use it. It's You've got fun. a coffee shop there. We've got a coffee shop. There's nice food. There's a bar in the evening for the adults. Um, <laughs> I, mean, and I mean, how much better? You can come in at 10.30 on a Saturday morning, drop the kids off with a story reading, sit down at the coffee, yeah, have a wine <laughs> at 10 right. in the morning. <laughs> um, but so we've always got the books, but I think for booksellers, it's a tricky thing too because there's so many languages. So if you make a commitment to stock all 11 languages, then say you have 20 children's books, which would be kind of a pretty basic selection. That's a small shelf, but you need a couple copies and you need a couple copies in 11 languages and selling that's like 300 books, right? And it's a huge upfront cost for booksellers to keep so many at one time. Like any retailer would know that the problem is keeping stock because yeah, that's where all your money is. The supply can also be erratic because sometimes the publisher might produce a book in five languages, for example, and maybe someone will like a library is looking or a school system somewhere is looking to expand their have more books in Swana and so they'll order like a lot of them and then suddenly they'll be out for a while and they'll, they'll just be out of print and so it may not be available all the time mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of interesting problems with like supply and how you keep a steady flow of things going um, but you can also order online from us I mean if you're not in Joburg I mean we deliver all over the country so it's that's really easy um, but to find out about the books there's also a great website called Puku um, P-U-K-U dot I think it's dot C-O dot Z-A and they review children's books in all the South African languages um, so they, it's a good resource for finding out what's being published and what's, you know, the things that are coming up. And actually the, for this age bracket, there's really a ton of really, really great local books and they're often published in 
three or four languages at least. Eh? Um, I find the more interesting challenge is when you get to be a middle grade and a high school student, that then that really dries up. You know, that it gets much harder to find a kind of an early chapter book that's written in local language. Um, <laughs> so there's no kind of breaking dawn in Zulu. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe you could address that shortage, you know, that's something. <laughs> but even kind of the, like a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory kind of book, you know, those kind of like early books. Um would be the next step up. So after your child, or gets, Hardy Boys, yeah, those kinds of things, right? <laughs> so after your child is comfortable reading the picture books, and you're doing that together, and then they're ready to read on their own, and they get to say like grade four or five, and it's time to have a more complicated story, then there's not a whole whole lot. And I mean, diversity in that bracket generally. This is my my life right now because my kids are in getting into that age bracket, you know. So to find stories just generally about kids who aren't white is really a challenge, and. Partly, I think that's because of American pop culture is predominant in that way. And so, like, if you look at what Marvel and Disney and all of that produce, I mean, it's as, hard to compete with that. It's been <laughs> so. a long time since I've been in school. So I'm trying to think about the kind of books that we read. And they were all that. That's that's what they were. You know, it was Nancy Drew. It mm. was Hardy Boys. It was, you know, yeah. Upside Down Tree. It was all of it was always Caucasian kids having fun. And there's more and more being being written, right? You know, so you've got um, like Nadia Korofor from Nigeria who mm -hmm. does really amazing um, young adult books that are such like What Sunny Saw in the Flames, you know, these kinds of books where it's taking kind of the J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter approach where, you know, the, the girl realizes that she has magical powers and then it's, you know, as she's starting to use her powers is connecting with, oh, so it's this like, you know, this like African magic, right? And then she learns from her parents about, you know, all this old history of, you know, well, what were the magical creatures in Nigeria and connecting with things that maybe, I mean, there's a time in the not too distant past, right? When we talked about like witchcraft in Africa, and it was in a very negative way, in a very Voodoo. Like, uh, well, yeah. That's exactly, as you say that, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm trying to remember, oh, Sunny, what Sunny saw in the flames. And I'm, and I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about all of the young, um, kids that I know. And if I were to give a book like that, that, I would have such backlash because people would think I'm like teaching the kids about witchcraft. Yeah. <laughs> which, which no one has a problem with witchcraft in Harry Potter. Mm. No, it's a different thing, isn't it? I mean, like the way that things are perceived. And also, I mean, locally, there was um, Casello Dacre wrote um, The Star Child. Uh, which is also the same yes. kind of thing. And that's a fantastic, fantastic book um, that also is a way to connect with kind of older African mythology. There's a huge interest in those kinds of things from authors, regardless of race, right? Because you've got like um, Charlie Human who wrote um, Apocalypse Now Now and Kill Baxter, which is also um, basically taking, you know, this idea that European culture was imported. So you've got kind of these like, you know, vampires and things that came from Europe, but they're interacting with like the giant praying mantis and like things from <laughs> things from South African mythology as well, you know. Mm. And even the um like the rebirth graphic novel that came out a couple of years ago that um Daniel Brody did is, you know, so um What's My Daniel South African history is so bad. Um, the Dutch guy who landed at the Cape and kicked off everything. Van Riebeck, right? <laughs> Jan van Riebeck. Thank you. So in this retelling, he's a vampire and he brought oh, vampirism to South Africa, right? And actually, when you read it, it's like, that explains a lot. You know? <laughs> so. Well, or he's a lizard, depending on who you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> but there's all more and more of these kinds of things coming up, you know, where people are trying to connect with older history and when a more more positive way and an affirmative way and bringing it into daily life 
in a way that's more natural and more fluid. Um, and kind of connecting those dots for people can be a little bit tricky and figuring out those those younger readers, you know. And then I often think South Africans are so politically astute and like much smarter than people we give people credit for, young South Africans. Oh, yeah. And that <laughs> they're actually not super interested in the Twilight books necessarily, right? I mean, that's not actually what they want to read. You know, they want to read The Coming Revolution and they want to read, you know, My Own Liberator, the the Mosinike book. They want, you know, they're reading kind of political stuff. You know, they're going back to... Looking at um, different liberation leaders from around the continent, you know, so like we do a lot of, you know, we get a lot of kind of people in their teens and 20s who are looking for like books about Thomas Sankara or Haile Selassie or Chris Hani and Steve Biko is always popular. You know, the, I write what I like. Oh, my God, time. you're making me so happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> Giving me hope. <laughs> I mean, this is a huge interest. I mean, this really people trying to connect um, not only with the past, but also looking towards the future. And like, we get a lot of requests for like African science fiction. Um, which is interesting is a lot of that's being published overseas. So it's books that come out in the US or in the UK or, or sometimes in Nigeria too, you know, where, um, it's a process of like, how do we get those books mm-hmm. here? And is there enough of an Thank you, Lauren Bukas, for, holding the, <laughs> for yeah. holding the torch for us down here in the South. And, you know, and the good thing about her is also that she's very, I find she's very generous with her, with her time and with her power to generate publicity for other writers. Cause if you go to her blog, she's always pointing out like new writers from around the continent who are doing great stuff kind of in the same vein that that, that she writes that kind of magic realism and not always a dark fantasy, you know, because I mean like, ah, oh, broken monsters gave me nightmares for a week. You know? <laughs> and it's kind of, I was like, we're going to leave the lights on tonight. You know? <laughs> but it's just interesting. Like the things are changing so quickly and South Africa is such a young country. And sometimes people get in a very bad kind of headspace about like, Oh, nobody reads and we don't have a reading culture. And yeah, that's not really not true. Like we have lots of reading cultures is the thing. And one of it is like this storytelling for the children. You know, it's not just people who buy books and read them themselves. Cause I mean, like small children obviously can't do that, but there's an experience of being read too can be a reading culture. And also like what the storytellers do, the Nan Lamoya guys, I mean, having an oral storytelling tradition just because it hasn't been written down is still part of a reading culture because some of those stories will be written down eventually and appear in an anthology or have been taken from different places. And it's important not to be too, too negative about stuff. And it's such a young country. A lot of times the research that people use goes out of date quickly because, you know, you do a survey 10 years ago, but the median age in South Africa is only 24. So in 10 years, a whole new generation has come of age and that's millions and millions of people who have new taste and new ideas and new ways that they want to shop and new things that they want to read about. And it's a challenge for bookshops and for publishers and for writers to figure out like, well, what do people want to read about? Cause it changes really, really fast. And where do people access it and how they access it and, and what they, you know, I, I look at my son who's all of nine years old and incredibly tech savvy, mm. so, you know, so he is very happy to look at a Kindle, whereas I still want a book. Mm. Um, and, and all of that kind of stuff, you know, there is, there's also, um, I had uh, last year sometime I had on the show Nalibali, mm. which is a great They're idea, lovely. wonderful stories on the radio. You can hear it in the various languages. I have my own little problems about code switching there and <laughs> using words that. But again, you know, it's it's about the fluidity of language and accessibility of it. So for you. As Griffin, as Bridge Books, what does it, what does the, the future, the perfect future look like for you? I would love to see a space where people are more comfortable switching languages and not feeling like they have to be very dogmatic about it. Because I find when people decide that they're going to write in their home language, 
whichever one it is, they feel so powerfully about it, which is a gorgeous emotion, right? And they want it to be perfect, everything to be perfect. And language doesn't have to be perfect. And stories don't have to be written in this kind of like very, very pure way. And there's a huge argument, I would say, for not doing that, for writing in a conversational voice, for writing in the way that people speak and that we're used to hearing words, writing in like normal language, whichever language <laughs> it is. Um, but to feel free to do that. And if we mixed languages a little bit more in our books and in our storytelling, the way that you do on TV, right? If you're watching a soap on SABC, it goes in and out all the time. You know, it's this, that, and the other, you know, one after one scene to the next. And nobody thinks Which about that. It fascinates eh? me completely, right? Because I also used to host a show on, on SABC and they absolutely hated it. Oh, really? If I swapped from language to language. Absolutely hated it if I swap from language to language. Because and I always used to think this is so crazy. I mean, this is how I speak every day. And it's a hurdle for, for all the, again, like people like me who don't have exposure to a South African language at home. How am I going to learn it if I don't hear it around me? You know, how am I going to engage with it? You know, so if you're in a place where there is one dominant language, you know, say you're like in France, you will learn French just by being there because you're going to see it and hear it constantly. And in South Africa, it's challenging as you've got so many languages. But if you never hear any of them in kind of public context, then that gets to be really complicated for picking one up, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so just to create spaces where we feel comfortable. And like, I think for me as well, I would get very self-conscious about being like, the middle-aged white American guy trying to speak Zulu. <laughs> and it's like, and that's not posing at all. That's not oh, me projecting come on. too much. And I think a lot of there, people self-censor. There, there are lots of middle-aged um, white South African guys who would do far worse <laughs> than you. So I'm just putting it out there. But I think it's important to not self-censor and to try. And I, I mean, everywhere you go, if you try and speak someone else's language, even if you can only get through like, oh, hello, how are you? you? They just love you. Doors open. I mean, doors open, you're treated in a different way. And it's just good to have a, a space where that can happen and everyone feels safe and it's comfortable. And ideally, there's some alcohol, too, I think, for the adults. <laughs> it's like, that does help loosen the, loosen the lips, you know? Definitely, definitely. But Griffin, this is your big moment to shine. Bridge Books is where in Joburg? We're in the CBD, in the old Barclays Bank building at 85 Commissioner. It's right at the corner of Harrison. And if you're around town, the Rayavaya Library the Gardens li Westbound the, Stop is near the right library. there. Okay. Near the library. And if you, because people don't want like, to beautiful drive downtown, building. the library is gorgeous. Had a beautiful remodel. Um, but you can also take the Howe train, and the Howe train bus has a library stop that's right behind us. It's just one block behind. And on Saturdays, if you're coming for the kids' reading, the provincial legislature is right behind us in the old city hall, and they have been so kind, and they let people park underneath the library gardens totally for free. Oh, wow. And then you just walk the one block down to us, and it's very easy, and you don't have to worry about hunting for a spot or fighting with the taxis and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we're open on Saturdays from 10 to 4. The readings are at 10.30. And during the week, we're there from... Nine to six at a minimum, but like next week we've got three evening events and book launches and what. So if you check our Facebook page or our website, um, the website is bridgebooks.co.za. We're Bridgebooks Joburg on Facebook and Bridgebooks Josie on Twitter. And we have an email list you can subscribe to from the website and we send out really regular updates to let you know what's coming up. A lot of the events are free and we also, for writers, try and create a good space. We've got Nick Blongu in right now. He's doing a writing workshop every night this week to help new short story writers. And we did one last year with Sukiso Vonner and 
and she did a great job, and the writers did a great job. We produced really nice stories that have been sent off for submission for publication all over the place. So that's also really exciting, I think. Is it worth it for you? It's so much fun. I mean, like, let's be honest and say financially running a bookstore is not the easiest way to make money. (laughs) I've definitely had jobs that required less effort. Um, But this is like by far the favorite thing I've ever done in my life. It's such a great experience. We have really cool people who come in every single day and all kinds of different people looking for different things. I love hearing their stories and hearing about the stories that they're looking for. Uh, this space is beautiful, so it's actually a wonderful place to go to every day. The people I work with are all really nice because I got to choose them. So, of course, they're all really <laughs> nice, right? Like, that's also the benefit of starting out on your own. And, you know, we do a, a wholesale trade with guys on the street. So we spend a lot of time going through Johannesburg and dealing with guys who work. Some of them are really like on the side of a bridge. Some of them are in a shop. Some of them are in the markets and connecting them to publishers so they can get new books and more African books into their I'm so happy well. you're doing that because one of the things that, that is my um, bugbear – about walking downtown is people selling porn. (laughs) (laughs) But you see people selling books all the time. And and that, for me, means that we may not think in like the civilized like cultures of red wine in our like um, Hmm. very famous bookstores and with big names may not think that there's a culture of reading out there, but people are reading. But it's huge, you know, between my shop and Park Station, so that's about maybe a kilometer, there's 80 booksellers. Wow. People selling books in all kinds of places. Eight zero. Eight zero, yeah. And they might be, some of them are in, in bookstores and some of them are also selling they have a takeaway and they sell books too. Some of them are hair salons where you can buy books as well. Some of them, I mean, there's a very popular trend to have nappies and books. You know, that's so interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you're changing nappies, you've got a lot of time on your hands. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) That wasn't my experience when I was in the nappy changing point in life. I don't think I read for about two years. (laughs) Or watched a movie. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, but I think it's so, it's such a, it's all such positive stories about South Africa and that it is a country and a city here in Johannesburg where people want to read and people are looking for books, the fact that you could support 80 booksellers over such a short distance, that says so much. And we have people coming in, like we supply shops in Soweto, in Spring, in Soshanguve, and like all kinds of different places where people are just hungry for literature and looking for new ways to access books. This is an amazing thing that you're doing. I think it's an absolutely amazing thing. And Griffin, thank you so much oh, for an for incredibly me, yeah? rivet, riveting, riveting conversation. And if you're looking to, to get to know about books that you can buy for your kids in multiple languages, Bridge Books is the place to go. And what was that other website, Puku? Puku is a great site for reviews about for children's reviews. books and you'll so, learn all kinds of stuff. If you're just starting out, I think the the one thing is, you know, you always hear the the arguments about where are people ever going to use their mother tongue? English is the language. Um, drives me absolutely crazy. But the real thing, the reality about why it's important for our children to get to know their mother tongue is because it gives you a sense of belonging. It lets you know where you come from and people who don't know where they come from. Um will very seldom get to where they actually are going. Thank you very much for thank you very much for the initiative, for starting it. It's always fascinating for me how it's always someone from far away that sees a need that is absolutely <laughs> so close so. to home and and actually has the guts I almost said both <laughs> <laughs> to do something about it. You are 
you a hero. You're my hero. You're definitely my uh, mother tongue hero for the day and possibly for the year. And I'd love to have you back here. Maybe we should I'm have blushing, a reading. Kumi. I'm blushing. <laughs> We're going to get Nosi to come and do, do a bit of a reading, I think. Too. Maybe we should have a reading. Or maybe when I come down, I'm definitely going to bring my boy um, who is being thrown in at every angle because the thing that I hate the most is when I do want to shout at him in, 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 in Zulu and then he says, what does that mean? <laughs> Completely it diffuses, yeah. diffuses my anger. <laughs> but it's absolutely wonderful uh, to have you here. I'm Pumi Mashoko and you have been listening to Womandla. Um, should we say goodbye in a lot of languages? Can you say goodbye in Thai? Maybe. Can you say it in Zulu? <laughs> in Thai is also Sawadikap. Hello and goodbye. Your? Your? Mm. <laughs> say again. I like that. Sawad, Sawad? Sawadi. Sawadi. Mm. Um, I'm just going to say Salaniga. Salaniga. Womandla on cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com.